Ken Callahan wrote a book, uh, Strong Small Churches, I think it was the title of it. But in that, he, he tells the story of a church that was a small church running less than 100. They'd been in decline for a long period of time. And uh, for some reason, they partnered with a local school and they started helping the school out. And word of that spread in the little community. Uh, and people started getting interested in the good things that the church was doing again, and they started attending the church, and the church started to grow again. But it started growing once it took its focus off of itself and got it back to serving in the name of Christ. Hi, y'all. Welcome to Episode 2 of Partner Up, your church school partnership podcast. Today, we thought we would start by... Uh, just sharing kind of a history of Loving Houston to give a good foundation for who we are as Loving Houston and why we're encouraging churches and equipping churches to partner with schools. So we're going to be talking with Tom Billings. He's been our Loving Houston board chair for the past couple of years. Before that, he was the executive director of Union Baptist Association. And that's kind of where the history of Loving Houston started. So Join me as we talk with Tom. Okay, Tom, uh, the first question that I want to ask is, what do you love about Houston? Probably the most obvious answer is the diversity of the city. I really do like that. Uh, I like living in uh, an urban environment. Uh, I like uh, the opportunities that the city affords. Don't particularly care for the heat and the humidity, but in December, January, February, this is a great place to be. Yes, agreed. Although I do kind of like the heat and humidity. I'm more of a warm weather person myself. Good for you. <laughs> yes. So you were on the starting team or the group of people who helped mm -hmm. start Loving Houston. Mm -hmm. What was your role in that? I served as the executive director for Union Baptist Association and... Um, and around 2012, I found out uh, that the Southern Baptist Convention was coming to Houston again. And every year before the Southern Baptist Convention meets for their annual meeting, and it moves about the country, uh, they, they want to do something more than just have a meeting in the city. And so they decided a number of years ago that they would do an evangelistic emphasis uh, the weekend before the meeting starts. Well, uh, in my role here with Union Baptist Association, I was put in charge of that. So it fell my responsibility to come up with something. And when I found out about that, I, I remembered a conversation I had with Kevin Palau. Kevin was telling me about some phenomenal things that the church was doing in Portland, Oregon, about how the church was partnering together. They were partnering with schools and with businesses to transform uh, different aspects of the community. And uh, there was something unique about their story because the mayor of Portland uh, was an openly gay mayor, and he uh, partnered with them in this, even though he was not a believer himself. And that story just kind of intrigued me because uh, that was a similar situation that we had here in Houston with an openly gay mayor, Anise Parker. And uh, the church and uh, the city of Houston, the mayor's office, had not always had the closest, most positive relationship. So that story struck a resonant chord with me. And uh, I read a book that Kevin 
recommended to me called To Transform a City. A friend of mine, Eric Swanson, had written it along with Sam Williams. And they were talking about uh, the work of the church in transforming communities uh, around the world. And uh, that intrigued me because we said in UBA that we existed to help transform our communities from the inside out and uh, that we were interested in transforming Houston and um, our city and the world. So transformation has been a big part of who we were. And uh, as I read the book, I was intrigued with uh, some of the things that it said. And one of the things that it mentioned was that Jesus went about uh, not just teaching and preaching, but he went about doing good. And sometimes uh, it says he went about doing good and teaching and preaching. And it seemed um, as I went back and started rereading the Gospels, that those were pretty interchangeable. And uh, again, that struck kind of a resonant chord with me. So uh, all of these things were kind of coming together in my mind when I found out that we were to uh, organize the beginning of the convention and the evangelistic emphasis. And so um, uh, I pulled some of our leaders together. I shared my thoughts with them and said, we want to do this, but we want to do it in a little bit different way. We don't want to do it the way it's always been done. We want to balance out uh, doing good as well as sharing the gospel. And uh, from that meeting, um, I also said, you know, we need to partner with the city of Houston to do this. And of course, that was not something that had been done. So um, we we had our thoughts. We prepared our list of things that we thought we could do for the city of Houston uh, and then went to uh, the mayor, uh, sat down with her. She graciously uh, received us. And as we started talking about it, uh, she was initially kind of hesitant. Um, it, it was interesting to watch her body language. But then uh, I said to her, we want to serve the city. Uh, we don't have an agenda. We want you to set the agenda. And when I said that, it seemed like her, her body language changed. Uh, she uncrossed her arms. She leaned forward and said, really? And what are you going to call this? And I said, well, we want to call it Loving Houston. And she said, Loving Houston, I like that. And so we, I said, if, if you could tell us what to do, if you could set the agenda, what would it be? And she said... Um, after she thought about it for a moment, you know, we have a number of under-resourced communities in the city that really need help. And she started enumerating those. And she said, wouldn't it be great if you could work with them? So uh, as a result of that meeting, we agreed to meet with uh, the key directors in the city of Houston. And we sat down with them. We identified the six communities and they agreed to help us set up meetings with the community leaders. They had uh, super neighborhoods. They had uh, organizations already set up. And so we set down a series of meetings with each of these. Uh, 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 our leadership team went. We sat down with their leaders. We shared with them what we would like to do and said, we'll raise the volunteers. We'll raise the resources. We just need you to tell us what you would like for us to do. And honestly, uh, there were some of those communities that said, wow, this is great. And they went right to work doing that. Um, there were others that were highly skeptical. They were fearful that this was just another do-cooder kind of project where we would come in, we would do 
things that we wanted to do. We'd go home, we'd feel good about it, and nothing would really change. But that really was not what we were interested in. We were interested in creating partnerships between the churches and the communities. And uh, uh, again, it, it took a, a long time, a number of meetings, uh, but slowly we built trust. And they came to us and they said, you know, if you're really serious, these are the things that we'd like to see done. And they they mentioned schools that needed to be helped, uh, homes that needed to be repaired. Um, Hurricane Ike had come through four or five years before, had done extensive damage uh, to many homes, and there were still people living with blue tarps on their roofs uh, that needed to have a new roof, but they didn't have the resources to do it. There were uh, homes that had fallen into significant disrepair that needed help. There were people living in poverty uh, that needed help. Uh, there was a cemetery, uh, an African-American, uh, pretty historic cemetery, that had really fallen into disrepair. And so they started listing all of these things. And uh, we said, all right, we'll raise the volunteers, we'll raise the resources, uh, we'll organize the projects, and we'll come into your communities. And um, so the first week of June in 2013 was designated as Loving Houston Week by the city of Houston. And we had about 2,000 people that came in from across the country, as well as here in the city, uh, to work on these projects. And uh, for me, uh, Another turning point was when we first started talking with the city of Houston about it. Uh, the director of neighborhoods said, uh, and she was a Methodist, she said, well, can other churches do this with you? And uh, it was like a light popped on and said, well, absolutely, this doesn't need to be limited to uh, the work that Southern Baptists are doing. Uh, we certainly want to partner with other churches. So from the very beginning, there were two or three things that were keys. One was we were here to serve uh, and that other folks would set the agenda. And it wasn't to be limited to one um, part of the uh, church, but we wanted to open it up to the uh, broader uh, body of Christ in order to be able to work side by side together. So when it actually came about in 2013, we had about 2,000 volunteers. They were from across the country and in the city. About half the churches that participated were not Union Baptist Association churches. They were other churches in the city. So it was a partnership that was uh, a uh, across denominational boundaries, and uh, it was designed to serve the city. And uh, we were able to do, I think, some significant work in five of the six communities um, uh, for a number of reasons. One of the communities, th things just didn't gel. So we agreed to come back in the fall, and we had 500 volunteers that came back in the fall uh, that worked then. And uh, it was a phenomenal success. And then the question became, well, you've spent a year getting all of this going. What are you going to do now? So I went to David Weekly. I sat down with him and um, in the conversation said, we'd like to continue, uh, but we don't have the resources to do that. Uh, we were able to do it with uh, a lot of the UBA resources, but they're not going to be available after this year. Uh, we would need some help doing it. And he said, well, uh, there was... Uh, another work, uh, the City Fest, and there were some other leaders, and they were interested in the same thing. And so uh, David arranged for a meeting uh, later 
that summer where we all came in, sat down together, and we talked about what could be the next iteration of Loving Houston. And uh, David Weekly uh, was the first to step to the line and say, I'd be happy to support this. Uh, he had one stipulation, and that was uh, that his recently retired pastor, Dave Peterson, uh, be chairman of the board. Uh, that was great. Uh, Dave was a friend and uh, loved working with him. So we, we set up our first board meeting to sit down and say, okay, what's the next iteration going to be? And uh, KSBJ had invited me to come do an interview on Loving Houston after the fact, and they also invited uh, Mayor Parker. And we were in what I guess would be called the green room before we went in. And um, I said, you know, if we were to keep this going, what would you like to see us do? And without hesitation, she said, I really wish you'd focus on the schools. The schools are the greatest need that we have in the city of Houston. And if you could get the church to partner with the schools, I can't imagine there would be anything better that you could do. Well, that was always in the back of my mind. So when we came to our formative meetings for Loving Houston, uh, I mean, it was a blank slate. You can do anything. What would you do? And it, uh, it honestly began with uh, a boatload of enthusiasm. Uh, Peter Forbes, uh, Dave Peterson, myself, Jim Harrington, a number of others who were part of those early meetings. And it really was all these things that we could do, but it was pretty clear you can't do everything. The city's too big. Uh, if you could only focus on one thing, what would it be? So uh, Dave Peterson suggested uh, some research be done, some uh, interviews like with uh, Dr. Stephen Kleinberg at Rice University, and the consistent feedback we got was, if you can do anything, work with the schools. And so that's how we narrowed the focus, and we began what I call Loving Houston 2.0, but everybody else knows it's Loving Houston, where we partner churches and schools uh, with the purpose of changing, uh, transforming communities. Thanks so much for sharing the history, and I really appreciate that you, when you were the executive director of Union Baptist Association, that you really wanted to see the churches loving Houston in some capacity. Absolutely. And then I love the fact that when you um, finished that first iteration that you wanted to continue to build the relationships, that you didn't want to just leave it there, uh, but you wanted to continue figuring out how churches could serve well. And it's so interesting to me that so many different people were telling you that schools were a great place to, to do that work and to focus that work. Um, and I know you personally, I feel like you have a desire to see churches loving schools as well, or to focus on education as well. Sure. Could you share well, a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, my wife uh, served in the school system for a long time as a teacher and then later as a librarian. Um, I think, like many other folks, I've seen these inspirational movies about some young child and uh, a mentoring relationship and uh, the change that it has in that person's life and then the great things they go on to do. Well, uh, those kinds of stories and that background and then just the recognition that children are our future, that if we want to invest in the future, invest in our children. 
um, and the school system is a great way of doing it. So we, we've always been supporters of public schools, but we recognize that public schools have tremendous needs. Uh, they can't get all of the resources that they need from the city. They have to get them from uh, outside sources. And uh, churches are um, a great resource. We have the people. We have the volunteers. Um, and we want to do something outside of ourselves. Uh, I, for me, it's important that the church serve outside of itself. Churches can become very insular. They can, they can become like country clubs uh, that are interested in recruiting new members only to keep the club going. And, uh, and that troubles me because the Bible says Jesus came to not only seek and save that which was lost, those who were lost, but uh, also to go about doing good. And um, he, he talked about uh, ministry of setting captives free, and and he told the early uh, followers that uh, they needed to uh, clothe the naked and feed the prisoner and take care of the widows and orphans. And, you know, the early church did that. The early church was heavily invested in trying to live out the... Uh, if I can call it this, the doing good ministry of Jesus, uh, of serving the community. It, uh, it was the early Christians that were picking up kids from off the street that were abandoned and left there to die. It was the early Christians that went back into the city when um, the plagues came and, and the doctors and, and those that could afford to left the town and they left the people behind. It was the early Christians that went back in to care for them and uh, many at the loss of their own lives. And uh, that's how the church grew. Uh, because they were so countercultural, they were so different than uh, the non-believing uh, people were. And uh, I wanted to see that continue with the church, that we need to get outside the walls of the church. We need to get into the community. Uh, we need to build those relationships, and we need to serve. And that's been at the heart of Loving Houston from the very beginning. Thank you for bringing it back to the early church and sharing about how that's what churches did. That's what believers did back sure. then. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Well, according to uh, Robert Sloan, a sociologist uh, that I believe is at Baylor University now, uh, he studied the early church, and he's, he noted how they grew from a handful to half the population of the Mediterranean community over the course of about 300 years, wow. uh, probably the greatest period of growth in the history of the church, and they did it not just through speaking the gospel, but through living the gospel and doing the good deeds and caring for others. And I think that needs to be at the heart of who we are. It's interesting that um, it's kind of a, it's a little ironic to me that the churches that are just focusing inwards and really thinking about growing their church, um, if they instead focused outward and did all the things that you were just saying, that that growth would happen. Sure. Uh, Ken, Callahan wrote a book, uh, Strong Small Churches, I think it was the title of it, or Small, Small Strong Congregations. Uh, but in that, he, he tells the story of a church that was a small church running less than 100. They'd been in decline for a long period of time. And uh, I don't remember all the details of the story, but uh, 
for some reason, they partnered with a local school, and they started helping the school out, helping the teachers, helping the students, and word of that spread in the little community, uh, and people started getting interested in the good things that the church was doing again, and they started attending the church, and the church started to grow again, but it started growing once it took its focus off of itself and got it back to serving in the name of Christ. And I, I think we're looking at 70 to 80 percent, depending upon who you talk with, of our churches plateaued or declining. I think a lot of that could be turned around if we would take our sight off of ourselves and get back to the uh, towel and uh, basin ministry of Jesus of serving others. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's related to even the posture of humility that you were sharing earlier about your initial Loving Houston 1.0, about how you guys weren't coming in with an agenda, but you wanted to ask the city um, what they wanted. You wanted to know what Mayor Parker wanted. You were asking how you can serve, not coming in with any agenda. And I feel like that's kind of a similar attitude that we're not serving or partnering with the schools with an agenda to grow our churches. We're serving with that agenda to ask how we can help. You know, I think that's an important part of Loving Houston. Um, I think lots of folks want to come into schools with agendas. Uh, we'll come in and we'll do this for you or we'll do that for you. But we may not always be the ones that know best what the school needs. We may know best how to do what we do, but that may not be what the school needs. And so I think we really have tried to incorporate that idea of service into Loving Houston, and we talk with churches about going in with a blank slate, go in without an agenda, let the school set the agenda for you, and then you go see if you can can do what they need done. And that has been a part of who we are, and I think it is a carryover from the initial Loving Houston, and I think it's one of the things that I'm most proud of about what we do. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're five years in. Yes. As you look back on the history and the arc of Loving Houston, mm -hmm. um, how have you seen God work over the past few years? And what do you see uh, for the future of Loving Houston in the next several years? I think the thing that has surprised me most has been the openness and willingness of the schools to allow churches to partner with them. You know, I grew up in kind of the beginning of the uh, don't mix church and state kind of era. Um, I remember speaking uh, during the Thanksgiving service, annual Thanksgiving assembly. It wasn't a service. It was a school assembly. And I went to a rather large high school. We had about 3,000 students in uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. So it, it was quite an honor to be asked to uh, speak that day. And uh, I wanted to tell the history of Thanksgiving and how the uh, pilgrims were thankful to God for what had been done. But the superintendent of schools found out what I wanted to talk about, and he um, made it very clear that I could not say anything about God in the Thanksgiving uh, address because the Supreme Court had just come down with, I think, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education not too long before that. And so there was a real uh, fear of crossing the church-state boundaries, and he didn't want anything about God even mentioned as a part of the Thanksgiving uh, service, which I found rather ironic. Um, 
but I had to comply with that. But that was kind of my background, you know, church, state, these things don't mix. And so the idea of pairing churches with schools and uh, believers being able to go in, not with necessarily an evangelistic agenda, but go in with an agenda of service um, and be able to work with the schools and to do that cooperatively, uh, it just kind of blows my mind that we're able to do that. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to uh, the Corinthians, he said, um, you know, I'm going to stay here. I think it was in Ephesus because uh, an open door has been set before me, and, and I just pray that uh, that I'll use it wisely. Um, and I think an open door has been set before us. I don't know how long it's going to be open, but it's open wide right now. And I think uh, that has amazed me the most. Um, and it's also amazed me that more schools are asking for help than we've been able to recruit churches to help. And um, uh, so I, I think I've, I thought initially we'd have more churches that wanted to serve than schools that would let us do it. And it's been just the opposite of that. More schools want us to come and help. And I think it says something to their need, but I think it also says something to us about an open door that we need to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's interesting uh, what you just said about the fact that it's an open door right now, but we don't know how long that door will be open. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's so imperative and urgent that... Um, we're able to get more churches to serve right now while the door is open. Absolutely. Um, to show the fruit and the impact and the potential positive impact um, right now while the door is open. Right. Well, that, that sense of urgency is pretty consistent with the ministry of Jesus. Uh, when he told the parables uh, of lostness, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, uh, there was a, a sense of urgency in that. He talked about leaving the 90 and 9 and go take care of the one. Uh, and I think that sense of urgency is something that uh, that some churches capture very well, but not all of us. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's one of those things that fades quickly sometimes, but it's something that we need to capture. And we have an opportunity, and I think your use of the word urgency, the, the need that we have right now to um, take advantage of this opportunity is one that the church needs to hear. I think the sense of urgency is also there for the kids who are in our schools as well. Oh, absolutely. Some of the experiences that they're going through right now um, needs to be addressed right now. Oh, sure. From lunches to mentoring, uh, more and more kids are coming from uh, dysfunctional families or uh, divorced single-parent families. They just need something or someone that is consistent in their life from week to week. And uh, a mentor can't go in and replace the parent, but they can be a consistent, loving voice. And they can, uh, as we've seen, they can stay with that child over the course of years, and it can have a transformative influence on the life of that child. Mm -hmm. And so the, there is an urgency in terms of the needs that the children have, uh, as well as the opportunity that's before us. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things that I see when I go in to mentor or um, visit a school, there are needs, there are challenges that the children and the families are going through, but there's also so much hope. Mm -hmm. um, 
the kids have hope, the parents have hope, the teachers have hope, the staff have hope. Um, and that's, I think, one of the beautiful things about partnering with schools as well is that there are so many challenges, but the fact that these kids are potentially able to get an education that's going to help them achieve more in life. Well, certainly. So much research has been done. Um, Victor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, talks about the need for hope uh, as uh, hope being the one thing that will carry you through catastrophic and extreme circumstances. Uh, so we've, we've always known of the importance and the value of hope. And I think that's one of the things we bring when we come in, whether it's with uh, crayons or um, mentors, whatever it might be, whether we're doing something for the teachers or we're beautifying the school, the physical environment, or we're meeting with the kids. We're bringing hope every time we come. And then I love the fact that as Christians, as believers, we have an ultimate hope. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of the foundation of what Loving Houston brings as well, is that ultimate spiritual hope as well that kind of mm -hmm. infuses everything that we do. And so it's fun to be able to partner with the school as representatives of the church. Sure. Well, um, when we started Loving Houston, the, the first iteration, the idea was that we weren't going in with a gospel track. Uh, we were going in with good deeds. And we knew that inevitably someone would ask, who are you and why are you doing this? Well, when they do, they're opening the door for us to respond. Well, we're here in the name of Christ or we're here because he's taught us to uh, to serve uh, others and to do things in love. And um, then we're able, if the opportunity is there, to, to share our faith. That's how Loving Houston 1.0 began. Well, same thing is true here. We're going in uh, not with a specific agenda, but we know that somewhere along the way somebody may ask us, who are you and why are you doing this? And we'll have an opportunity to share. But, you know, they're opening the door. We're not uh, knocking it down. And I think that's that's a big part of why we do what we do, because we do have this hope in Christ. Uh, we have experienced personal transformation, and we want others to be able to experience that as well. Yeah. Um, sometimes in our workshops we talk, well, every time in our workshop, we talk about the separation of church and state. Sure. And so that's something that can trip churches up, sure. especially churches that are very focused on evangelism, and they mm -hmm. want to be able to share the sure. gospel whenever and with whomever. Um, what would you say to churches who are um, concerned about that, that they want to be able to share the gospel anytime, but there's these, there are these regulations of church and state in place? Well, absolutely. Um, I want to be able to share the gospel whenever I have the opportunity. And we want churches to have that passion to share. Uh, but I do think uh, Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's. Uh, we want to do it respectfully. We want to do it appropriately. And we want to do it, um, in this case, we want to do it legally. And I think that's important to us. We're not there to batter uh, the door down. Uh, we're there to uh, to serve, and if that's all the opportunity we have, then 
great. That's what we'll do. But as the opportunity arises, um, then we want to be able to uh, share our faith uh, because that's important to us, and we believe it's important in transformation. But um, in Revelation, uh, the picture of Jesus is painted as respectfully knocking on the door. And uh, then that door has to be opened from within. I believe it was Holman Hunt that painted the famous picture of Jesus knocking at the door. And there's no latch on the outside. It has to be opened from within. Well, I think that's the posture that we take. We're not there to batter down the door and uh, to force our way into doing something that is important to us, sharing our faith. But we're there to do it uh, in a respectful manner and uh, to do it legally and appropriately. It doesn't mean we're any less passionate about doing it. We just want to do it right. So as you look at um, the future of Loving Houston and of the city and the impact of church school partnerships, what do you hope to see? Well, first, I think we began with a good idea. Uh, But there have been lots of people with good ideas, and you don't know if it's ever going to gain traction. One of the things that I think as uh, we've gone over the last five years is that we have now lots of verification that says not only is this work needed, but it's wanted. People want it from the school side. We want it from the church side. Funding is an important part of what we do because we're a a not-for-profit organization. And uh, that means we don't charge for what we do. We have to be funded in other means. And it's been really interesting to see how uh, some of our key funders, and and we're so grateful to Bob McNair and uh, the McNair Foundation for the work they did as well as for David Weekly and others, but... Uh, Now we're getting a lot of support from individual donors that's coming in, and our donor base is significantly growing. And uh, that says to me that what we're doing is important. Uh, People don't tend to fund things they don't believe in. So uh, I think the uh, growth uh, both in schools wanting the work done, our staff has grown uh, over the Uh, the several years. Uh, Our funder base has grown. Uh, I think over the last five years, we've shown that this is an idea whose time has come. And we have a unique frame, uh, time frame in history. Uh, A door is open for us. And uh, my hope, my prayer is that we will continue to expand our staff, we'll continue to expand the school districts and school systems that we're working with. I trust that our donor base will continue to grow as we uh, do good work. So I'm really excited about the future for Loving Houston. Me too, definitely. Um, And you mentioned something in there as you were talking. Uh, We had talked previously about how the doors open on the school side, Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have seen that churches are responding. Um, And oftentimes when we go in to meet with a church, they'll tell us, huh, we've been thinking about this for a long time. We just didn't know how to get started. And so that's been really encouraging to hear as well. But it is taking a lot of that personal interaction and personal legwork. Well, I think if you look across uh, the country, you'll see that this is something that is happening in lots of places. It's not as well organized uh, uh, as we are here in Houston, Um, but it's beginning to happen spontaneously in a lot of places. To me, that's evidence of a movement of God. Uh, 
So in my mind, we are at the forefront of a movement of God here in the United States that I trust and I pray will go on and that will continue to provide leadership, uh, not just do good work here, but that will have a growing influence uh, across the country as people learn about what we're doing and they learn from us. Yes, I definitely agree with you that it is a movement of God because I feel like this, the things that we've done and the the open doors and the receptivity that we've seen isn't because of us. It's definitely because God is going before us, bringing the right people, mm -hmm. the right board members, the right staff, putting us in touch with the right people in the school districts, putting us in touch with the right people with church networks. It's really neat to see God going before us and us allowing to follow him in what he's doing. Well, you are a perfect case in point because we did not go seeking you out. You came seeking us out. You heard about uh, Loving Houston uh, from a conversation, I think, with Kevin Palau. Um, you heard about what we were doing and you came to us and said, gee, is there some role that I might be able to play with you all? So here we get a fantastic executive director who comes to us uh, not looking for a position as executive director, but just looking to help. And we recognized your talent and your ability uh, early on. We said we want uh, her to be a part of Loving Houston, and you have just grown from, you know, working with us in kind of a part-time capacity to now serving as our executive director. So you're a case in point of what God is doing and how God is blessing this ministry. Thank you for that encouragement. Yeah, it was it was Facebook that God used, actually. There was a video of what was going on in Portland on Facebook. Okay. I don't know who posted it, but I saw it, and I uh, clicked on the link, went to the website, and, yeah, Kevin Palau emailed me back within about an hour and put me in touch with you guys. So totally God thing. That was Absolutely. not me at all. So that was definitely a God thing. Well, I think Loving Houston for, from the very beginning has been a God thing, and I think as long as we are faithful to him and he keeps this door open, we want to uh, continue going through it and continue serving. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for your leadership. Uh, you've been serving as chair this year? Mm -hmm. Is it just this year? Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. This year. So we've really appreciated your leadership. You know, the last couple that's, of years. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> last couple of years. So thank you for your leadership. Um, it's been really encouraging to be able to work with you. Thanks for the freedom that you give and the faith that you have in uh, the staff. Really appreciate that a lot. Um, for your diplomacy and your ability to ask good questions and to lead us without uh, without being mean about it. <laughs> That's not a good way to put it. <laughs> Thank you for leading us in a very um, humble, gentle um but strong way. We really appreciate that a oh, lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for joining us for our interview with Tom. As Tom mentioned um, in his interview, we have a ton of schools who are looking for church partners right now, uh, but not enough church partners who have stepped up to say that they will partner. So if you would, would you pray with us that more churches would catch the vision of what God can do through church school partnerships? We hope you'll join us next week, but until then, we ask that you would subscribe, pass this on, or think about who else you can partner with.